G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. I think by the time I got to my mid-30s, I didn't even want to pray with people in the front of church. I was asked into ladies' leadership through our church, but that was just too scary. I'd have to pray out loud with other people. Um, So I really knew my confidence wasn't good. Those that knew me at the time, they always used to say how timid I was. I would be too scared to answer the phone, too scared to talk to people. But, you know, I honestly remember God saying He saw the potential in me. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, last time, Ruth Price shared with us what it was like growing up in New Zealand with a parent struggling with a mental illness. We heard about the many challenges she faced and that her mother was eventually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which sometimes includes delusions and an inability to tell the difference between what is real and what isn't. But today, as we hear more of Ruth's story, we'll find out that despite the unique challenges she went through, God was still at work, reeling her in and bringing her closer and closer to him. Once again, Ruth Price is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Ruth Price, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Eric. It's good to be here. Glad to have you with us once again. And yes, we heard last time the general impression was because your mother had this mental illness, you didn't know if at any moment you could get a phone call from a hospital or a police officer or somebody saying, come get your mother because she's somewhere doing something that needs to be taken care of. Is that kind of what was happening in your life at that yeah, point? Yeah, that was what was happened. We um, didn't know when that call would come, so tried to do the best we could at the time. Okay, so now let's uh, continue your story. You grew up in New Zealand, specifically your family was living in Auckland, New Zealand. And then let's find out about the time when you decided to move to Australia. Well, um, it was probably 2008, looking back, or 2007 when I first started talking about it. And as a couple, um, our children had all got married or left home by that stage. So we already had one daughter in Australia. Um, The second one who just got married, she also followed her sister. So I think we were sort of slowly working our way over here. Mm -hmm. So at the time, you had been your mother's caregiver, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I remember talking to her actually that we were considering going and that was one of mm-hmm. her triggers which was very hard. Um, obviously she didn't want me to go in her mm-hmm. own way though. She didn't actually say that. Um, for me I recognised that but for me I had to make a decision. Obviously God's calling us to Australia yeah. but I didn't want to leave her behind but at the same time I had my own daughter, uh, my younger mm-hmm. one who was pregnant with her own children. I wanted to be there for her, which I oh, didn't yeah. have as my mother was there for my children at that mm-hmm. time because of her situation. That must have been difficult. You're kind of torn between you love your mother, but your mother yourself and you love your daughter. So that must have been hard. Very, very difficult. But, you know, yeah. I, ha- I really yeah. had to know it was God's leading for us as a couple, though, mm-hmm. at that time. So I don't think I could have done it without God and knowing his leading. So eventually you moved to Australia. And then who took care of your mother? 
I realised that I had to pass her care over to my sister mm-hmm. so she would be the one to talk to the hospitals, be the contact they needed, that next of kin person mm-hmm. when you know anything legal happened. Uh, but later on, in my mum's probably mid-80s by this point, my brother got involved. He lived in Germany, believe it or not. Wow. Though he had the time to give uh, what was needed. And my mother, with her particular illness, she did not like being in hospital. She was always very against that. So he actually did an amazing job. He helped her live at home. Um, he did all the caring remotely, keeping in touch with uh, various carers that came into her home. See, mm. by this time, you know, she was able to get government help and support um, to do that. Perhaps a personal carer to come in once a day, mm. help her shower and things like that as her health declined um, towards her latter years. So he actually had like cameras or sensors going on inside the house. They do that overseas, you know, in a lot wow. of the remote you know, parents that are living yeah. here elderly. And it's amazing what they can do. And I, you know, I really thank him for what he did do in those last few years yeah. that she could live at home until she passed. So he managed her care remotely from Germany and she's in New Zealand. Yeah, he, he had a great team of, um, you know, care workers that he actually had got around to her with the care. So that was always mm-hmm. good to know. And you said that your mother then eventually passed away? Yeah, she did. Uh, it was only 18 months ago. Uh, she had a few health conditions which led to that. Yeah, so it wasn't easy. I tried to get home as much as I could, mostly either once or twice a year, just for that visit and spend a fleeting time. So that was mostly my contact with her after that time when I left here. Now, was she a Christian? Do you know? Well, I actually had the real joy um, being a brand new Christian, sort of in my early 20s. Back in that time we talked about, I had the opportunity to take her to a Louis Palau meeting. It was here doing this big rally in Auckland. And I was on the team that took Salvations, the counselling team as we called it back then. And she came with me. And I remember her wanting to go forward uh, or respond to the mm. call they had. But yeah. I said to her, I says, it's not just because I'm there, is it? You know, you're not just doing it for that reason. And she goes, no, I really want to go forward. Now, that mm. was the interesting thing because I really knew in my heart she was saved. That didn't really seem apparent in her lifestyle. I found mm. when she was on medication during those hospital stays, she'd find herself in church groups, um, helping to that community um, connection for her. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the times where it was most apparent with her mental illness, she wasn't, um, the Christianity side of things wasn't really talked about or you mm-hmm. did question it, but I just knew in yeah. my heart and I really believe God sees the heart of people and he knows mm-hmm. and he sees that connection. So I always had that assurance of her yep. faith and I believe when she passed that she is with him. I have mm-hmm. no doubts in my heart about that actually. So it's always good to hold on to that. So that's more or less the story of your relationship with your mother and the ups and downs and the unique challenges that you faced. At this point, let's go back to your childhood and trace your story, your own personal story, and how the Lord worked in your life. Now, based on everything we've heard, there would be every reason for you to be very confused, especially about God and where he fit in everything in your childhood. But what was your spiritual journey growing up in a very dysfunctional family? Well, I think my parents had some sort of nominal, traditional Christian heritage. Um, I was sent to Sunday school a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I think my mum organised that. I also recall, you know, being asked to the occasional youth group or the Bible study by friends. Two teachers that I particularly had at high school who were Christian, for some reason, 
they always impacted me. I never knew really why. I just knew there was something mm-hmm. different. But I think something at that point was really starting to tug in my heart. I didn't know what. I didn't understand it. But, you know, I think I was about the age of 16, actually. Um, I'd just moved house and schools once again. And I found myself reading. And it was Nikki Cruz's book, uh, Run Baby Run. Oh, okay, yep. It's kind of a classic. I think it was actually school reading at the time. I'm not sure. I presume I got it from the school library. We should say that Nikki Cruz was kind of a gang member in a ghetto in the United States somewhere and in, in the rough and tough gang life. David Wilkinson's, he was, you know, came through his teaching, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The Cross and the Switchblade is the book by David Wilkerson. So those were the stories. I think that's in the 60s. But it's a very powerful transformation where he goes from being a rough and tumble gang member to being a Christian. And he's still ministering to this day. So his life story really had an impact on you. Yeah, it was. So it was in the late 70s by this point. And I think I was at a point, I was 16 years old, as I said, I wasn't coping with life. And, you know, there were some very dark places for me. Uh, I just wanted to, I guess, end it all at that point. I didn't really know what. I didn't even Mm. know what I was searching for either at that point. So when I was reading that book, you know, I remember being flooded with tears and crying out to God. Like I said, not that I knew what God, who he really was. But looking Mm. back, I guess I think, you know, that's probably what we would call that touched by the Holy Spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. It did take me, though, another five years before I did finally go forward for salvation. You're listening to The Story. Our guest today is once again Ruth Price, who's originally from New Zealand and now lives in Brisbane. As we've been hearing, God has been at work in her life, reeling her in and bringing her closer and closer to Him. Next, we'll hear how God transforms her from being someone very timid to someone who's now helping others gain confidence. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is once again Ruth Price. As we heard before the break, God was working in her life and helping her overcome some of the challenges from her confusing childhood growing up with a parent with a mental illness. Now we're going to hear more of Ruth's story as she continues her chat with Eric Scatterbo. Let's go back to what was going on inside of you. Obviously, we know that you're confused about what's happening with your mother, but it sounds like you're having struggles of your own as far as going from at one point wanting to possibly end your life to on the other side, thinking about going overseas and going on adventures. So you were kind of vacillating between these two views? Yeah, I guess I was the typical teenager and I would daydream a lot about finishing school, heading overseas for that big overseas adventure, mm-hmm. as you said, like, like many other teens at the time. So, But yet having dark thoughts. I guess I just wasn't coping at the time. I don't think I ever would have eventuated, but I was heading down that kind of thought pattern, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I was still at school, high school at this time, 
So, but you know, the the neat thing is, though, Eric, it was about this time after reading that, and I called out to God that my life mm-hmm. took another turn. Oh, let's hear about that. Yeah, well, I kind of met Dave, my now husband of nearly 40 years, um, within mm-hmm. a month after reading that book, and he lived on the opposite side of Auckland. Mm-hmm. An interesting fact, though, uh, I was the girl who took him away from that nice Christian girl he was going out with. Oh, and you weren't a Christian yet at that point? No, like I said, it was another five years before I did finally go forward, and um, that was a journey. Like I said, it was very much God reeling me in. Um, if you like fishing, that was me. <laughs> so you're kind of like a fish on the line and he's gently kind of reeling you in. Is that kind of the mental imagery you're getting at? That's exactly how it felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> little by little, he's kind of working in your life? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, my mother-in-law, like I said, she might have been horrified at the time, but she was my Naomi of sorts, you know, with my name being Ruth and all. <laughs> and she was actually the one that I used to copy when I became a parent. I'd want to do things the way she did things. But this particular time, you know, she told me that God was coming back in 1988, you know, back when that was the the end thing at the time. Oh, yeah. There was a false prophet who said something like 88 reasons for 88 that Jesus was going to return. Obviously, that turned out to not be true, but it was something that people were talking about back in the 80s. Yeah, well, I just remember that New Year's Eve so clearly between 1979 to 1980. I think I'd known my then boyfriend um, for about two years at that point. I just knew I didn't want to be left behind from something I didn't quite understand. But So I guess it was just starting to deepen and searching was happening in my heart. And then what happened next in your life? Your relationship with Dave progressed? Yeah, well, actually, we ended up getting married about the age of nine. We'd already purchased our first home, despite not being Christians yet. Our three neighbours that completely surrounded where we lived were all from Auckland's biggest Assemblies of God church. Oh, God was uh, putting seeds in your life? Absolutely. I remember our neighbour saying that you know she worried about us, but then she saw the one-way Jesus sticker on the back of my father-in-law's um, car. So she thought, it's all okay now, it's in God's hands. But <laughs> <laughs> She was actually the very first person I told I gave my heart to the Lord, actually. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was about a year later. That you know, we had our first baby, Haley, um, who needed mm-hmm. to be christened, and you know, this found us at my mother-in-law's church uh, where we'd been married. And instead of the usual one meeting with the Anglican minister, and we had three, <laughs> so mm-hmm. lots of conversations about God. I think he was trying to. Oh, again, God yeah. was pulling us in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you finally put your faith in Jesus? Yeah, well, it was from there. Um, he invited me to a ladies' group at the church. You know, they took me under their wing a little bit, took me along to a Women's Aglow meeting. And for those in New Zealand, we'll know of Bill Zabritsky, where he was speaking. Uh, I don't particularly remember a great message at the time, but somehow I ended up at the front of that meeting. Still not sure how I got there. But in all honesty, you know, from that moment, I haven't looked back. So finally, going back to your fishing metaphor, he finally got you in the boat, so to speak. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And being from Auckland, you know, it's a city of sails, city of boats. So how did you grow from then? Well, within the first year, we were now at a Baptist church. Um, I was baptized. A word God had given to me at the time uh, was I'd have the gift of hospitality. And that seems impossible for someone with my past, you know, total isolation, didn't have that social kind of connection. So never Mm. knew that was going to happen, but I did have a heart for hosting people, inviting them either to a meal or even here in my later life. You know, I'm surrounded by people now and I just love what God's done. 
And then eventually you lived for a year at a Christian Bible school, is that right? We did. Ended up having my third child while I got pregnant there at the time. Um, it was an amazing time, Christian Bible school slash community, because it was a very combination um, on Great Barrier Island. Orama was the place, for Kiwis might remember that. Um, so <laughs> that was a wonderful year, but it was a huge learning curve, of course. you know, I was still very young, mid-twenties. Mm-hmm. So growing up, because of all of the struggles and uncertainty in your home life, mm. you were pretty timid, is that right? Oh, there's lots of things in my life, not just with my home life. There was other things, I think, which caused my confidence to be very low. Yeah, so I think by the time I got to my mid-30s, I didn't even want to pray with people in the front of church. I was asked into ladies' leadership through our church, but that was just too scary. I'd have to pray out loud with other people. Um, so I really knew my confidence wasn't good. But, you know, God's great, and um, he did rescue me. He carried me through, and... I was actually, I was still at home for the 16 years, I think I was managing to be a stay-at-home mum, which was such an honour and a blessing. Um, So Mm -hmm. Hayley, this baby, was now 16 by this point. And, you know, I was looking at um, returning to the workforce, but I thought I had no skills whatsoever. I mean, I was 20 when I had her, so I've been out of the workforce for a long time. And I got volunteered into a voluntary position at uh, Radio Rima in New Zealand, one of the biggest Christian ministries at the time. So uh, it was amazing, I think. Those that knew me at the time, they always used to say how timid I was. I would be too scared to answer the phone, too scared to talk to people. But, you know, I honestly remember God saying he saw the potential in me that either I didn't see or others didn't let me see. So I kind of had this confidence that he was going to help me grow. Um, Also, I remember him saying at that time, I think I was opening mail, processing donations or whatever the case may be. And I felt him say, I've trusted you with little, now I'm trusting you with much. And that was the ministry he you know, first took me into, so it was, mm-hmm. it was amazing. So it sounds like little by little at the Christian radio station, the Christian radio network in New Zealand, your confidence was growing and God was kind of developing you. Oh, absolutely. And he took me through all kinds of um, growth periods through that journey. I've been with um, the ministry there in New Zealand and now here in Australia for 23 years, I think it is now. And I look back and think, how did this person, who was this person back then, has ended Mm. up? I mean, I still get timid. (laughs) I still get nervous sometimes. But, you know, hey, I'm human. Yeah, Yeah, you are human. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what, Eric? I love watching others grow now, and that's been my heart. Let's fast forward to the present. You are now in charge of a call center that is responsible for praying with people. Yeah, I always laugh God's sense of humor in this, and I often say it, it. You know, somebody who was terrified of praying in front of people, terrified yeah. of talking. So what does he do? He puts me into a broadcasting organization, <laughs> leading the prayer ministry, and go figure. <laughs> yeah. So what is it that you like the most about praying with people? I just know that God is very, very real. I know that he's there in our situation. We can depend upon him. Um, He's just really waiting for us to call out to him and to ask him to keep that conversation happening. So has that trust, I guess, it's very much my faith. I love David and the Psalms. And, Mm -hmm. you know, David Mm -hmm. told God when it was bad. He told God when it was good. But he was real. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, you know, he loves me. And despite all that I've been through, I know he's taken me through. He's protected me. He's nurtured me. And he's, you know, he's brought me even as a parent. He's given me things. You know, we have a very close family. My children are still very close Mm -hmm. with us now, uh, which Mm -hmm. is very, very special. So I thank him for that so much. 
And I know from speaking with you earlier that you are passionate about helping other people grow. Tell us about that. Well, I'll give you an example here in the prayer team. I watched people come on board and, you know, they've got this heart to pray. And there's one particular girl who's on our team and she was very, very timid herself when she started praying with others on the Mm -hmm. phone, even though she had the heart. But I watched, Mm -hmm. I've watched her grow and she now has others in her community outside of here where they come up and ask her to pray all the time. And and she even leads meetings, you know, she might lead communion or, and it's it's just beautiful. I love watching people grow, especially where they've got that right heart and um, the potential that they've got and just helping develop that. Yeah, so you saw God do that to you, take you from being timid to being confident enough to pray with people. Then you see somebody come in timid like you were, and you see them grow to the point where they're confident. I mean, that's got to be incredibly gratifying. Oh, it is. And that's why I love just being here, you know, being in this ministry now. It's um, just watching others just have that um, connection and watching the God moments as well in their conversations as they're praying with people. And um, it's just it's special. I love it. Mm. Now, if someone's listening today and they can identify with some of the challenges you've gone through, maybe they have a parent or a close personal loved one who has a mental illness, so they can identify with the challenges. Any words of encouragement or advice you'd have for them? Really just trust God for the outcome, for their lives. Um, definitely pray for their salvation, um, that they would mm-hmm. have that relationship. Sometimes it's letting God walk through the journey with you. It's, it doesn't always get fixed yeah. in that situation, but he's there with you and you're not alone. He will never leave or forsake you. So, And call out to support, um, call out to others to pray, gather around you. Like I said back, you know, it was wonderful, my pastor's wife really helping me through a time. Um, that was good to have, um, just to know that it's, it's actually okay and yeah, trust God will lead you through it. And finally, how is your father doing? Well, my dad was still praying uh, that he accepts Jesus. He's 93 now. Um, 18 months ago, actually it was the same month my mother passed, he was told he had aggressive esophagus cancer and would only mm-hmm. survive six months without treatment, which you know he opted not to have. It was interesting. I know here I had others praying with me for his salvation, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, that cancer has become a non-issue. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, wow, yeah. He, he's still struggling with dementia, um, so he's he's still happy. So he's mm-hmm. going on still, even though he's 93. So We pray that he comes to know the Lord before he passes away. Absolutely. He, he is my, it's my prayer, my heart. Anything else you'd like to add today? I guess back with my children, I know that they found uh, various things which were quite different. Um, you did mention it earlier. I mean, I was talking to my son, actually, and his sister, younger sister. You know, mm-hmm. how did you find things growing up? And they said things like, well, the presents were weird. Though, so, um, I used to, I, I, you, you mentioned earlier about protecting the children. And I guess I did to a certain degree um, mm-hmm. from the different kind of ways. Like the presents, I would actually open them first to see what they were. Oh, you're talking about when your mother having a mental illness would get strange gifts for your children? Oh, absolutely strange things. (laughs) So you would open them up first just to see what they were? And in the end, I think I stopped giving them, which was probably the wrong thing. Hmm. My youngest daughter, she says, I used to love your mum's presents. They were kind of different and I loved playing with them or I loved them or something, you know, which is totally unexpected. Well, you have me curious now, what kind of things would she give? Oh, um, maybe some little pencils, but that wasn't so much. It was more uh, maybe a plant, seeds of a plant, but then or books off the shelf or um, just the tiny little things. But should yeah, it was just I guess for me wanted I strive for normality. I think 
probably as bringing in my family, I over the years I have strived for, like I said, for that normality. Trying to, I have the Christmas is my thing. Um, mm-hmm. I love to do Christmas big, which I never had as a child. Even though I love camping, and Mum did mm-hmm. best for me. Now I I go all out, and you know, just ask <laughs> ask my oldest daughter, and she's just got this thing. Yeah. Even as an adult, she would still come back Christmas Eve and stay there, so she'd have the Christmas stockings, or we still have the little gifts for each other, and um, I have the big Christmas meal. I do the whole full hot cooked dinner. Yeah, so you've kind of made your own family tradition because you didn't have that growing up. Oh, I did. And like I said, I think I started copying this from my mother-in-law, um, the way she did things. And mm-hmm. I started mimicking a lot of that. Um, but mm-hmm. then it's become so strong. We've got our own family traditions, like you said. So, yeah, we spend the whole day together as a family on Christmas Day now. I mean... Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. That's wonderful. <laughs> so through the Lord and through having different role models, you're kind of filling in, backfilling, I guess you could say, some of the things that you missed from your childhood. I think so. Um, and, you know, one of the things like I mentioned hospitality is that now, over the years at my working life, we have events. And mm-hmm. I just love hosting those. I have my moments. Um I love to party everything up, like the athons. I love putting all the balloons <laughs> up. Um, birthday is always a big thing in our family as well. Uh, we, I love getting all the balloons and making a big deal about it. <laughs> so that's yeah. always one of the things I love. I love having these events. So it sounds like even though you've gone through some very strange times, the Lord is really filling your cup to overflowing with all these different experiences that you're doing now. Oh, He really is. I really look at it as that God took the least of these and he's mm. turned it into something. And it's still a work in progress. There's <laughs> no denying that. Yeah, we all are. Yep, yep. So, um, but, you know, he's he can use, you know, when we think we haven't got nothing to offer, as long as we've got that willing heart, yep. it's just wonderful to be open and see what he can do. And it's, you know, it's quite an exciting journey, actually. <laughs> Amen. Ruth Price, thank you so much for sharing that wonderful journey with us today. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you for having me. Our guest today has been Ruth Price, who leads our prayer team right here at Vision Christian Media. And it was great to hear how God has taken her from being someone who at first was too timid to pray with others to now being someone who leads up our prayer team and helps others develop their gifts as well. It's absolutely fantastic. Also, sometimes we assume that someone answering phone calls at a prayer line must have never struggled with any big problems or won't be able to identify with any of our difficulties. As you heard in Ruth's story, she's human just like the rest of us and knows about challenging situations. Why not give her or another member of the Vision Prayer team a call right now and pray with them about whatever may be weighing on your mind at this very moment. Our prayer line is one 800 Pray for me. That's one 800 Ruth and the team would love to pray with you. That number once again, one 800 As it says in the Bible, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So give Ruth and her team a call so you can receive prayer for healing. Once again, the number is one 800 Double seven two nine three six. Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Ruth Price's inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on the story, we filmed in Oxford, 
We've filmed in New York. We've filmed in Mainz in Germany. Uh, we just Seoul, Korea, uh, Nagasaki in Japan. We went to Lala Bella in Ethiopia. All of those are absolutely remarkable experiences. And you, if you didn't believe in the grace power of God, you'd never believe you'd get there. Carl Fays is an Australian Christian communicator and media presenter who's travelled the world producing programs like the documentary series Jesus the Game Changer. With over 20 years of involvement in media, Carl's programs have been broadcast and distributed internationally. We'll hear Carl's story and about his humble beginnings in Western New South Wales next time. The The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 